Hey folks, just a quick note to let you know you can now support the podcast by shopping on Amazon.com. Just go to the specific page on Nerdist.com for this episode, click on the Amazon banner and shop as you normally would, and Daddy gets a taste. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you found the internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Today's episode, you get an entire show recorded January 30th, 2014 at the Museum of Science and Industry in San Francisco as part of Sketchfest. This was a shorter one, so we're going to do both rounds. And speaking of San Francisco, we'll be back in the Bay August 10th at the Nightlight in Oakland for a very special happy hour show, 5.30 doors, 6 p.m. start. Tickets are available on brownpapertickets.com. You can also see me all weekend, August 7th through the 9th, opening for Baron Vaughn at The Punchline. But for now, enjoy the show, which I should point out was our first ever themed show. All suggestions had to be science fiction. So let's welcome your round two comics. We'll be writing based upon your suggestions. And folks, if I could get those suggestions from my volunteers right now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Sean Keen, Matt Lieben, Mike Kaplan. Uh, we're going to start with Mr. Mike Kaplan. Give him a round of applause, Mike Kaplan. Thank you. If he likes the first suggestion, he can take it and run with it. If he doesn't like it or he's not sure, I will draw a second one, but then you guys will vote with applause on which one he has to write. Uh, your first option is Chronicles of Riddick. I'm not sure. Okay. Let's see what else we got. Uh, I don't know if this is a real thing. You guys will have to let us know. Tesseract Tim. So much for crowdsourcing. Literally no one in this room has heard of this thing, Not including a... the person that wrote it. That'll be on the list along with LASIK eye surgery and the Sochi Olympics. It's time you come see me. Uh, the Black Hole. The Black Hole. That's a... Uh, Disney that's, sci-fi film. That's science fact. Uh, it's also a movie. Also a movie. Okay. And also a great porn if you haven't seen it. I don't get uh, it. It's uh, vaginas. We'll talk about it. So, folks, I leave it to you. Uh, with your applause, who wants to hear uh, Chronicles of Riddick? <laughs> who wants to hear The Black Hole? There you go. Mike Kaplan. There you go, sir. You are dismissed. Can I start now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt Lieb, ladies and gentlemen. Clap your hands for Matt Lieb. I don't think the last unicorn is science fiction. I'm sorry. <laughs> Cthulhu? That's a horror film. Am I wrong? What do you think, nerds? Uh, not enough this... time. There's not enough time to Wikipedia read. <laughs> understand. Who thinks Cthulhu is science fiction? Mm. That's not enough people. That's not enough people. Uh, lasers, guys. We need laser movies, if we weren't specific. You know the one with the laser swords? <laughs> Fucking idiots. All right. <laughs> uh, Darth Vader. Fuck it. How do you feel about Darth Vader? All right. What's the other one? Nope. You can't just make shit up. Can't just make <laughs> shit up. Not even reading them now. Uh, the Borg Queen. You're getting the board queen. There's no way that's not going to the board queen. So good luck with that. Right. Google is allowed. All right, give it up for Sean Keen. <laughs> the Muppets are not science fiction. <laughs> they, they do go to <laughs> space. They do go to space. Things in space. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is your first official option. I, I think that's probably going to win, but let's just see what the second one is. So two. Those are just drawings of dirty things. Uh, Logan's Run. I, I think the Hitchhiker's Guide already won. Yeah, I think so, too. Who wants to hear Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? 
clearly it's going to be Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mr. Sean King, ladies and gentlemen, round of applause for your round two comics. You've seen them in a little bit. And uh, please, a big round of applause for your first round one comic, Mr. Josh Gondelman. Josh Gondelman, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, guys. This, it's such an honor to be here amongst you reading smut. Uh, I've, written, I've written erotic fan fiction for a cult classic 90s television show called Quantum Leap. Yeah. Good night. Um, this is called Balls Quantum Deep. <laughs> As Sam opened his eyes, he knew he was far from home. He had leapt into someone else's body, as he did every week. First on Friday nights, which didn't go so well. Then Wednesday nights, which got much better ratings. Uh. This time he was naked, save a pair of socks, and covered with a coarse thicket of chest hair. A quick glance in a nearby mirror revealed pale skin, side curls, and a prominent nose. Ah, he was Jewish this time. (laughs) Oh boy. He muttered, whatever problem this guy had, it wasn't going to be easy to solve. It never was with Jews. <laughs> Since stepping into the quantum leap accelerator, leaping was all Sam could do. He hopped through space and time from host to host, body to body, putting right what's one, what once went wrong. Sometimes he ended up in the bodies of developmentally disabled people, whom he referred to as retarded, in a series of leaps that would seem pretty offensive with 20 years of hindsight. <laughs> But at the time, that was the proper nomenclature. (laughs) Lately, though, Sam's adventures had become increasingly sexually charged. He'd leapt into the body of Eleanor Roosevelt, subduing her powerful lesbian nature and imploring FDR, I know you have the polio, but give me the pole, yo. (laughs) Their sensual cavorting gave President Roosevelt the inspiration to draft the New Deal, which he originally called the Nude Deal, but shrewdly edited to avoid the wrath of conservative legislators. (laughs) Sam introduced doggy-style sex to Sir Isaac Newton, who, noticing the pendulously swinging breast of the woman he had mounted, coined his first law of motion. (laughs) An object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted on by an external force, a.k.a. these nuts. (laughs) He even jumped into the body of a horse and staunchly resisted the advances of Russian monarch Catherine the Great. Sam allowed the enlightened despot to rule for another several decades simply by not fucking her to death with his horse cock. (laughs) But Sam was tired of playing sex tourist through space and time. He longed to return to his own era. He craved the woman of his own age, the women of 1992. He, he He missed their frizzy hair, both regular and pubic. He dreamed every night of running his hands along the firm, unyielding shoulder pads of their blazers. (laughs) He yearned to remove their mom jeans, which even supermodels wore then for some reason. (laughs) But here he was, in a small, dim room which was full of paintings, and not good ones. Blobs of color, imprecisely rendered still lifes, barbaric attempts at the human form. There were also stacks of what seemed to be books of political history. He couldn't make the titles out. They were in another language. German, perhaps? Dr. Beckett's eyes widened. He knew what was coming. He knew what he had to do. From off in the distance, Sam heard humming, a classical tune, Wagner. Then, in the doorway, appeared a small man, also nude. His floppy hair was matted down with anticipatory sweat. His small mustache quivered with the lip under it. (laughs) What are you waiting for? He barked. Come ravage me with your kosher schnitzel. (laughs) I'm sorry, Sam, said Ziggy, the voice of Quantum Leap Project's parallel hybrid computer. You're going to have to fuck the anti-Semitism out of Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) Al Calavici, Sam's trusty hologram best friend and advisor, was nowhere to be found. Though Though Al was once a fountain of useful information, he had taken to furtively masturbating in a closet or behind a bush while Sam worked. Sam was on his own. What are you waiting for? Take me now, Judah Fuckabee, Hitler squealed. It's a Hanukkah joke. (laughs) Hold on, Sam stammered. First, I want you to draw me. Draw me like one of whatever those things you like to paint are. (laughs) Oh, you are a naughty Jew, chirped Hitler, taking up a paintbrush and attacking a scrap of canvas. 
oh, yes, Sam Cood, paint me, draw my, is that my penis? Kneecap? Eyebrow? The painting was a mess. It was basically a stick figure submerged in an elephant turd that was maybe supposed to represent his body hair. Hitler was getting cranky. I'll never be any good at this, he pouted. Let me help, said Sam. He crossed the room towards Hitler and wrapped his arms around the Fuhrer's soft body. He guided... You can take your time with that. (laughs) He guided the paintbrush across the canvas in delicate strokes, not unlike the way Patrick Swayze crafted pottery with Demi Moore and Ghost, a movie Sam knew very well because it was popular at the time. (laughs) When they finished, the painting was a fairly passable work of abstract art, the kind of thing that might get you into art school if you put it in your portfolio. Unfortunately, the unprecedented success left Hitler fully aroused. He began touching himself, slowly at first, then faster. Sam backed away. Ugh, he cried, and Hitler moaned. Sam raised an eyebrow. His exclamation of disgust had mimicked the guttural chet sound of the Hebrew language. Seizing an opportunity to finish the job, Sam grasped for all the Hebrew he knew. Baruch, atach, Adonai, he bellowed. Adding chuch songs where they didn't even belong. <laughs> Hitler's knees buckled in ecstasy. Sandy Chofax, Harry Houdini. <laughs> oh, mine about to kampf, roared Hitler. <laughs> mine kampfing, mine kampfing. Which was weird because he hadn't even written that book yet, and that doesn't mean what it sounds like in English. <laughs> You're so sexy when you paint. Never give up your dream, Sam whispered. Hitler nodded. I never will. I will be an artist forever, and hobbled into his bedroom to recover. Al emerged from the other side of the couch. Where were you? I could have used you out there, Sam barked. You know I just like to watch, Al said. Besides, you did fine, didn't you? But about this next leap, it's going to be a little different. This time, I'm going to be inside you. (laughs) Al winked. Huh? Al pressed the button on his Rubik's Cube-looking device, which in retrospect was only slightly more powerful than an iPhone. (laughs) There was a flash of light. Sam regained consciousness tied to Al's bedpost by the wrists. Oh, boy. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Josh Gondelman. Keep it going for your second competitor, Mary Van Notes. It was a hot and steamy afternoon of June 1884 in New York City. Sweat pooled behind the neck and moistened the groin of a young, nubile, six-foot-two, thick-mustachioed, 28-year-old Nikola Tesla. (laughs) He was on his way to the office of the greatest electrical engineer in the world, Thomas Edison. (laughs) Ultimate thrill and nerves consumed every inch of his being, including his most hallowed nine inches. As he approached the door of Edison Machine Works, he turned to do his usual lap of three times around the block before entering a building. But something caught his eye. A silver pigeon flew above, landing on the transom of Edison's building, the most beautiful pigeon he had ever seen. Such a sight melted his nerves. The pigeon seemed to say to him, you got this. You don't need those OCD tendencies. You're confident. Shake his hand. Don't worry about cleanliness. Something special was about to happen, and Tesla could feel it tingling below. Thomas Edison, his hero, looked different than Tesla imagined. Smaller, fatter, frumpier. He was immediately fraught with a clash of disgust and desire. Tesla's heart thumped hard with the kind of fervent torque produced by an induction motor. (laughs) He shook Edison's hand, Hello, Mr. Edison. I'm looking for work. I have a letter of recommendation from a mutual friend. Edison looked Tesla up and down, pausing on parts of him that hooked his eyes like a rotating magnetic field. 
From Tesla's steel blue eyes to his thick man stash to his thick man bulge. (laughs) Pulsing under his perfectly tailored trousers. He unfolded the letter and read, My dear Edison, I know two great men and you are one of them. The other is this young man. Edison felt desire and a deep need for competition, ultimate victory, dominance, and control. He wanted to be the only great man. I have brought my plans and a sample of the alternating current I have been working on, Tesla said as he opened his valise. Well, I doubt that system would work, but it definitely is an interesting fantasy. I greatly value and respect your your work, Mr. Edison, but you can't possibly think that direct current is efficient and sustainable. Edison had never been spoken down to, never been questioned, never been so disrespected, never been met at the same level of intelligence, never seen such eyes, brighter than the lamps in his own office lit by his own DC current. Never seen such a full mustache, a strong jaw, fit and muscled chest. The rage surged through his legs and into his electricity pole, swelling with high voltage. (laughs) Direct current provides valuable load leveling and backup power during interruptions of generator operation. (laughs) Tesla knew deep down that Edison was wrong, but he still had such immense respect for this man and immense appreciation for his work, his succulent lips, plump hands. I want to level your load. (laughs) Tesla didn't know what came over him, but before he knew it, his arms were around Edison, lips drawing close. A magnetic force had overcome them both. A ferocious, wet-tongue war of currents was upon them. Tesla took a breath, kissed Edison's neck, and whispered in his ear, Alternating current. Edison squeezed Tesla's hard cock and said, Direct current. (laughs) A flurry of kisses, ear and neck nibbles, hands exploring alternating current. Direct current. (laughs) Tesla tore Edison's waistcoat and shirt open, switched on his AC system model. The currents traveled close to his supple skin, raising his arm hairs on end, reaching his fingers, pinching Edison's nipples. Erect and electrifying, the shock made Edison gasp and groan. Alternating current. Tesla said before he sucked on Edison's nipple. He moved down, his tongue aching for Edison's load. He undid Edison's pants. Direct current. Edison's turbine stick standing straight and bulging. Tesla's dark mustache tickled Edison's gray pubic region. As his thick cock was thrust down Tesla's tight throat. (laughs) Tesla's mumbled words vibrated on Edison's wet, throbbing bulb. He took Edison deep in his throat while an electric shock followed his hand down to the base of Edison's power plant where he cupped Edison's balls and took them into his mouth. Electricity swelled through the length of Edison. His breath stammered. Direct current. No AC. No DC. AC. DC. At that moment, the fusion of their lust shot through time and space, exploding into the year 1980, the formation of ACDC. <laughs> and through the interdimensional rift, they could hear the guitar licks of Back in Black. Edison's load shot through him at an unknown horsepower, hitting the back of Tesla's throat hot and filling his mouth. Just then, the silver pigeon, 
The beautiful silver pigeon Tesla saw outside flew in through the window, landing right in the distance between Edison and Tesla, bobbing its head towards Tesla's direction. Tesla knew why she was there. He picked her up and opened his mouth, letting Edison's cum cover her silver bobbing head. (laughs) Do you want to see the first Tesla coil? He asked Edison. Edison knowingly unrigged Tesla's trousers, unveiling his tall transmission of power, his rotating field pole, and Tesla's other man's stash. Edison felt resultant attraction to Tesla's long conductor, U.S. patent number 69. He was magnetized by its girth, and Tesla took Tesla inside. Tesla groaned with pleasure as he shoved the silver-headed, cum-covered pigeon up his ass. Her head bobbing and bobbing inside of him. Edison sucked that stiff transmitter of energy until the Tesla coil shot millions of volts of cum into his mouth. As Tesla's jizz hit Edison's throat, so did an eruption rocketing into the future to the year 1991, sparking into existence the hit single Edison's Medicine by Tesla, the band. (laughs) Tesla would never have children, but his sperm spawned the greatest band of all time. (laughs) Trembling still from his great ejaculate, Tesla released the pigeon from his ass. A moment that will go down in history when he created the greatest of all his inventions. All his inventions. The brown-headed pigeon. (laughs) She bowed her head and flew out the window. The deep and intense passion between Edison and Tesla left with her. They would never experience that magnetic connection again. In fact, they became only enemies. Many years later, in the room 3327 of the Hotel New Yorker, Tesla waited as he did every day for that pigeon. Many pigeons came, defecated there, but none with those silver wings and brown head. On October 18, 1931, as Thomas Edison took his final breath a world away in New Jersey, the silver, brown-headed pigeon flew into Tesla's room. He loved that pigeon as a man loves a woman, and she loved him. As long as Tesla had her, there was purpose in his life. The bird fell to the floor. Life extinguished. At that moment, he knew there was an Edison light bulb inside him all along, and that light turned off. He knew his life's work was finished. One mournful single semen tear dropped from the head of his sad hanging cock. (laughs) Mary Van Notes. Keep it going for Caitlin Gill. Yo. Oh, hey, thank you. Hi. Hi. Uh, I have titled this piece, The Mystery Science Theater of 3,000 Dicks. (laughs) In the not-too-distant future, next Sunday, A.D., There was a man named Joel, not too different from you or me. He worked at Gizmonic Institute, just another face in a red jumpsuit. But today, the jumpsuit was fitting a little tight around his lap. The images he was seeing on the screen in front of him were causing his blood to stir. He watched this screen all day, every day, but he had never seen anything like this before. Today, he was seeing images of unbridled carnality. He recognized the faces, but not these passionate contortions they were making. He turned to his robot friends seated next to him, but he could tell by their silence and frozen expression that they were also shocked beyond riffs by what they were seeing. It seems that instead of sending the movie, which was supposed to be Gamera versus Mitchell, TV's Frank had switched the video feed to broadcast live footage of Dr. Forrester's lair. Unbeknownst to the doctor and TV's Frank, 
And against the will of Joel and the bots, the satellite of love was now live-streaming a hot mad scientist webcam. Back on the satellite, Joel and the bots were at first amused to get this look at what their bosses might do when they thought no one was looking. But as things quickly turned darkly sexual, they ran out of quips and comments and just stood, sat watching stunned as Dr. Forrester was bent over a railing and TV's Frank pushed his hamdinger inside of him, <laughs> crying, Deep hurting! Deep hurting! Dr. Forrester clutched a Jim Henson's Edgar Winters baby in his teeth. But his mother, Pearl, who had arrived to help her son move the lab from Comedy Central to the Sci-Fi Channel, tore the doll away and admonished him to take it like a man. Clayton, you'll never take over the world if you can't take a good hard fuck without an albino doll in your teeth. Pull yourself together! Pearl was an ample woman, and she pressed her bulk and her now exposed bosom against TV's Frank, always her favorite. She was encouraging him on. Fucking weird, Frank! (laughs) He's gonna need a complex if he ever wants to get off the couch and rule the world already. Sure thing, Pearl, said Frank, as he pounded. Maybe it was the sight of Pearl's full breasts, but something was starting to mount in Joel, an erotic flush he hadn't felt since he'd been launched into space. He thought, as the only human on the ship, that he was alone in this feeling, and it made him restless in his seat until he felt a thin, metallic claw (laughs) touch his knee and slowly slide up his leg. It wasn't long before Crow had both his hands wrapped around Joel's trunk and was manipulating him with robotic precision. (laughs) Tom Servo swung his useless little arms around his circumference. (laughs) But try as he might, he could not reach the new unit lifting up his hover skirt. Joel, ever a kind-hearted, sympathetic sort, reached over to tug his robot friend's special parts. The three sat in silent ecstasy, watching the feed from down on the Earth's surface, where Brain Guy and Bobo had showed up. Pearl played matchmaker between her son and Bobo, and soon the ape was picking Frank's nits off the doctor's love-sore body. Brain Guy and TV's Frank stood to the side, fucking each other intellectually with fey mannerisms and obscure references. (laughs) A temp by the name of Mike had been wandering around the doctor's lair, absorbed in his tasks and oblivious to the sexual goings-on around him. At least he was until he saw what was playing on a screen he had been ordered to dust. It was the live stream from Cambot, who was trained on the sexplorations of the captives on the satellite of love. At this point, Joel and the bots were as one. Tom Servo and Crow faced each other, Crow's spindly arms and legs winding around Tom, exploring him as Joel stood behind Crow, pushing his great lake through Crow's basket head toward Tom's open and willing beak. (laughs) Back on Earth... Mike's sexual curiosity overwhelmed his Midwestern sensibilities, and he leaned forward, mesmerized. He leaned forward so far that he leaned right into a lever labeled, shoot Mike into space. (laughs) Look, I know that's ridiculous. Just repeat to yourself, it's erotic fan fiction. You should really just relax. (laughs) Instantly, Mike's particles were reassembled on the deck of the satellite of love, where at first he encountered Gypsy. Gypsy's whole face is basically just a vacuum cleaner. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Thought Mike. He had to have her. Which was cool by Gypsy. You know she was down to fuck. (laughs) The satellite was alive with love. 
As Joel's long pent-up desires exploded from his body, an arc of his essence left him and rained down on Tom Servo, nearly filling his gumdrop machine head. Crow-T Robot, having already reached climactic ecstasy, found his humor again. <laughs> give Tom five cents and he'll give you a handful of Joel's white good and plenties. <laughs> Dr. Forrester, recovered by the gentle touch of Bobo, checked his monitors to look in on his experiment. He saw the now spent Joel collapse atop Tom Servo. Crow, now silver, stripped of all his gold spray paint, And Mike, now a captive on the satellite of love, was nude, curled inside Gypsy's gaping maw, sleeping off his first encounter with robot love. It would surely not be his last. (laughs) Kaylin Gill. And your final round one competitor, Jesse Elias. Yeah, buddy. The year was 1992. Bill Preston Esquire and Theodore Ted Logan (laughs) were in their garage jamming on their most excellent guitars in preparation for the upcoming Wild Stallions concert. All right, exclaimed Ted. Way to shred on that solo. Before Bill could return the compliment, an electrical storm filled the garage, crackling and sizzling into the shape of a familiar phone booth, which opened to dispense a trench coat-clad individual bearing a strong resemblance to the deceased comedian George Carlin. <laughs> Bill and Ted spoke in unison. Rufus! Hello, boys. What brings you to San Dimas? Oh, funny story. I traveled to your time from the year 2688 because I'm on an important mission to... <laughs> Rufus's explanation was interrupted by a loud explosion from the time travel booth. One of the components near the top antenna began to smoke and bellow, emitting a strange swirling purple energy throughout the garage. Shit! Fear took hold of Rufus's voice. The backup power cell has been ruptured. We've all been exposed to extremely high levels of Omicron radiation. Is it dangerous? No, it doesn't cause injury, but it has a potent aphrodisiac effect. I feel funny, said Ted, whose pants were beginning to swell. Me too, said Bill, gazing down at his boner. Hey, Ted, want to suck each other's dicks? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No! Battling to stave off the horniness encroaching his mind, Rufus forced himself into the time travel phone booth. If he didn't stop this now, they could very well fuck themselves to death. Bill was sucking Ted's cock now, tickling his balls with air guitar fingers. (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) Neither of them noticed as the phone booth closed its doors and zapped off to another dimension. Seconds later, it reappeared. Rufus stepped out in a leather sling bikini, his cock ring dick waving freely from the open crutch. Hello, boys. I tried going back in time to prevent our current situation, but I got horny along the way and decided to have a little fun instead. Ah, he inhaled a whiff of poppers. Oh, and I took the liberty of inviting some friends. A storm of strangely dressed men and women poured out from the phone booth, each of them succumbing to the hyper-aphrodisiac effects of the Omicron radiation in Ted's garage. Who are these dudes? Rufus grinned. You boys should have paid more attention in history class. Marie Antoinette coquettishly undid her bodice to display two powdered white breasts with nipples like candied rose petals, loudly declaring, Let me eat cock! (laughs) Rufus obliged her wish, replacing the proverbial silver spoon in her mouth with his not-so-proverbial erect penis. (laughs) She gives great head when it's still attached to her neck, he joked. (laughs) I cannot tell a lie, said George Washington, pulling his stockings and knee breeches down to his buckle shoes to reveal a three-inch clitoris. I do do take to these bacchanalia with great alacrity. Ted's cock tumbled from Bill's open mouth as he let out an astonished, Whoa! (laughs) That's right, said Rufus. Old George Washington here is a hermaphrodite. I guess that explains why he never had any children. The founding father greedily shoved his head up the dress of Helen Keller, who had no fucking idea what was going on. (laughs) (laughs) 
but but seemed to be enjoying it. Rufus laughed. Careful there, George. We don't want her getting pussy splinters from those wooden teeth of yours. Ach, diese Orte ist nicht gut, said Hitler, squatting alone in the corner, angrily stroking his micropenis. <laughs> mein Schwanz ist zu klein für den Geschlechtsverkehr. Es muss die Schuld der Juden sein. Rosen Parks climbed on top of Henry VIII's rotund body, mounting his syphilitic cock, and began riding him. Move over, said Marie Antoinette. It's my turn. Rosa Parks scowled. Fuck you, bitch. I'm not moving. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. <laughs> uh. <laughs> mm, a wise choice, my swarthy concubine, said Henry VIII. Whenever I exchange one woman for another, I have the former one executed. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bill was fucking Ted from behind, grabbing two handfuls of his long, dark mane and riding him like a wild stallion. <laughs> I love you, Bill. I love you too, Ted. <laughs> hey, dudes, mind if we join in? Bill looked away from Ted and saw, Bill and Ted? That's right, said the other Ted. We're you from the future. We got fucked by ourselves last time. Now it's our turn. (laughs) (laughs) I'm confused, said Bill. Without further explanation, Ted shoved his dick up Ted's ass, and Bill shoved his dick up Bill's ass. The future Bill and Ted then proceeded to sodomize their past selves until they came. That was awesome, said Ted, withdrawing his penis from the other Ted's butthole. Come on, Bill, I still want to know what Helen Keller's nipples look like. Wait a minute, said Ted. Wait a minute, said Ted. You dudes got to fuck us, now it's our turn to fuck you. You'll get to fuck you when you are us, said future Bill. (laughs) And with that, the future Bill and Ted abandoned their past selves and disappeared into the sweaty fray. The orgy continued for several hours. After everyone had come as much as they possibly could, Rufus gathered the historical figures along with future Bill and Ted to return them to their proper times. Once they were all inside, Rufus waved goodbye and the phone booth disappeared in a flash of electricity. That was fun, said Bill. Yeah, said Ted. Bummer I never got to see what Helen Keller's nipples look like. Hey, neither did she. (laughs) (laughs) Just then the phone booth reappeared. Rufus stepped out to greet them. Hello, boys. He looked over the scattered clothes and puddles of cum festooning the garage. Wow, did you guys have an orgy in here? Yeah, that Marie Antoine babe was sucking your dick in everything. Rufus smiled. Wow, that sounds great. I can't wait to experience it for myself. How about it? You boys want to come along for round two? After exchanging naughty glances, Bill and Ted piled eagerly into the phone booth. Let's go fuck ourselves, Bill. A most excellent suggestion, Ted. The doors closed and they were off. <laughs> Jesse Elias, stay right here, man. Let's get everybody from round one back up. So, you guys are going to pick a winner with your applause. First, I'm just going to remind you who everybody was and what they wrote, and then we'll vote in a second. We started with Josh Gondelman with Quantum Leap, then Mary Van Note with Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison, then Caitlin Gill with Mystery Science Theater, and Jesse Elias with Bill and Ted. So, Pick a favorite with your applause, starting with Josh Gondelman, Quantum Leap. Mary Van Note, Nikola Tesla, Thomas Edison. Caitlin Gill, Mystery Science Theater. And Jesse Elias, Bill and Ted. All right. Clearly we have a tie between Mary Van Note and Jesse Elias. Uh, so we're going to ask you all to vote one more time. Pick a favorite, starting with Mary Van Note, Nikola Tesla, Thomas Edison. Jesse Elias, Bill and Ted. Well, that's clearly still a tie. So you're round one co-champions. Congratulations, Jesse Elias and Mary Van Note. Big round of applause for everybody from round one. 
Great job, guys. Who's ready, round two? You ready, Mike? Ladies and gentlemen, your first round two competitor, Mr. Mike Kaplan. Clap your hands for Mike Kaplan. Okay, everybody, uh, as you remember, uh, I was given the choice of the Chronicles of Riddick or The Black Hole, two movies that I have not seen. <laughs> Can I ask, uh, and I d I'm doing The Black Hole, how many people here clap your hands if you've not seen The Black Hole? Well, then you are in for a treat. <laughs> First, there was a robot named Vincent. V-I-N-Cent, which stands for Vagina in Neck Center. In the real movie, it's short for a different thing. Who cares? <laughs> Vagina and neck center, like one of those holes that you get from smoking too much, but for sex. And on purpose. Because <laughs> it's a robot. A robot that loves getting neck banged. If it weren't already a word, I'd say this robot was a necrophiliac. <laughs> too bad, though, and we're getting ahead of ourselves. Back to the robot and its neck fetish later. First, really, there was nothing. Maybe. Let's say there was nothing. Pitch Black. The prequel to Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> Then, God said, let there be sound. That's probably what he said. With sound. Uh, and thus the universe was born with a big bang. Very small gestation period for the universe. Bang! Birth. <laughs> also, there was light. Sound much more important. A lot of people put more emphasis on seeing, but hearing and smelling. Anyway, in any event, the universe started. God stuck one of his dicks in a black hole. <laughs> Just started fucking it like a windmill, kind of, but not with wind, like solar wind. Those are a thing, I think. If they're not, science fiction. Or not a windmill, but like a perpetual motion fucking machine. That's God's sex nickname. Uh, anyhow, the black hole is getting fucked uh, by an all-colored dick of God. Something about his rod and staff infection. Anyway, this thing writes itself, so don't blame me. Uh, Blame itself for being a black hole that's sucking itself into itself. <laughs> so God couldn't help but continue to bang this black hole because God's everywhere and the, also the hole's one of God's vaginas. Fuck me. <laughs> fuck me, God yelled to himself. Maybe fuck me, God yelled to herself. He yelled to herself and he did. He did fuck me himself. <laughs> he fucked himself me. God did. Oh, did God fuck himself me. I'll keep going as long as you're clapping. Fuck himself me, God said. Okay. <laughs> we don't have all night, God said. And then he created a much longer night. So, <laughs> you know that old question, can God create a rock so large that God couldn't rock his own world fucking himself on that rock? The answer is yes and no. God started fucking the whole quantum style where he wasn't sure if there were any li living or dead cats inside, but who cares? Hashtag Schrodinger's pussy. <laughs> Sorry about the hashtag. I should have just said it. <laughs> anyway, while all this is happening, a ship approaches the black hole. There's a robot that's on the ship. We met that robot earlier. Also, Ernest Borgnine is fucking that robot's neck. <laughs> Ernest Borgnine, uh, of course, a massive robotic collective, almost ten times more massive than the Star Trek villain, Borg-9, as it were. Uh... <laughs> Ernest Borg 9. Does everybody understand? Good. <laughs> so anyway, it's not cross-species robot fucking. Ernest is just assimilating Vincent into himself to become Ernest Borg 10. What's happened is, God <laughs> fucked the black hole so hard and so long that his dick entered another dimension where the black hole is actually a movie I've seen, but that's not this universe. So, <laughs> this universe, where I only had a few minutes to skim its Wikipedia page. Anyway, back to God. <laughs> fucking himself, which is our universe. And as man, made in God's image, we are all fucked by God in our black holes, or white holes, and holes of all the colors of the rainbow. And God's dick is a rainbow. And we're all, all colors and genders. We're all one. Gay is straight. Man is woman. Robot is human. Fact is fiction. And who better to demonstrate all of this, the truest manifestation of these truths slash falsities, than Vin Diesel. Man, woman, all races. Real name Marvin. That's true. Pulls... That's what Vin is short for. <laughs> and Diesel is short for Dieselicious. Something true, something not. 
Anyway, Vin Diesel pulls into an intergalactic gas station, inserts the pump up his urethra, and he fills the pump with his diesel. (laughs) And the multiracial, multifaceted, multifurioused Vin Diesel fucking that gas station, which is also part of the collective known as Ernest Boing? Boing? Yeah, why not? Ernest Boing 9 slash 10 is the bang that God called for when he first said, let there be sound. In conclusion, the schwingularity. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thanks a lot, everybody. I, I hate myself. Him. Yeah, man. Great job. All right, Matt Lieb, Sean Keen, who's ready? Sean? Sean Keen, ladies and gentlemen, let him hear it. All right, I got the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. All right. Arthur Bent and Ford Prefect were in torment. Having stowed away on a spaceship to avoid the destruction of the Earth, they'd been taken prisoner by the Vogon pilots and forced to listen to the worst thing in the known universe, the erotic poetry of the Vogon people. (laughs) Then he put his Vogon thingy next to her, you know, thingy. And it was hot. He had a big Vogon boner. It was big. Like the penis of a Vogon. A male Vogon. A male Vogon who had a penis that was engorged with arousal. Sexual arousal. Ford and Arthur cringed. Make it stop, cried Ford. Ford, I wish you would just let me explode with the rest of the planet, remarked Arthur. Ford clutched Arthur's hand for support, and they each felt a current of sexual excitement between the two of them. Though Arthur's penis had shriveled at the first moment of Vogon poetry and continued further, retracting and retracting like the New York Times reacting to a Stephen Glass investigative story. <laughs> he wanted to put his Vogon penis into one the Phoenix female Vogon's 11 orifices, and he will put it... Oh, it was terrible. Suddenly, with a flash, the Vogons were gone. Arthur and Ford clutched each other in fear, and not a little desire, and they found themselves on the floor of a mysterious spaceship. Welcome to the Cock of Gold, announced their host, a two-headed, three-armed man who stood before them completely naked, clad only in a towel. My name is Zaphod Beeblebrox, and I am the president of the galaxy. He looked Arthur and Ford up and down approvingly, and I'm looking for some galactic interns. Arthur extricated himself from Ford's arms somewhat reluctantly as they looked around the ship. This is my vessel, said Zaphod. It runs on improbability. Arthur was confused. The ship, the day, all of it was improbable. But most improbable of all was the raging, pulsating boner that protruded from his body at a 42-degree angle. (laughs) This was how he'd got the nickname Arthur Bent at boarding school, after all. (laughs) I've been through the entire known universe, and I've never seen that before, said the gorgeous Trillian, Zaphod's shipmate. She was beautiful, even though there was a frustrating lack of information about her character and physical features on Wikipedia. (laughs) Arthur blushed, but his penis only grew more tumescent. Don't panic, said Trillian, as she pulled his pants down. Ford stepped in. Back off, he's mine. I saved him because I love him. Well, homosexuality in space is not all that improbable, if you think about it, said Zaphod. You know, the confined quarters, the lack of, you know what? And he bent down to deep pants forward as well. Suddenly, the cock of gold had become a naked dog pile of fucking. (laughs) Zaphod Beeblebrox had two heads, and each one was sucking on a big old dick. Arthur and Ford groaned. The level of pleasure they were experiencing was completely improbable. One of Zaphod's arms was fingering Trillian. One was cupping Ford's balls, and the other was jacking off his single penis, though he had seven testicles. (laughs) Ford cupped Arthur's golden ball of prosperity as he ejaculated into one of Zaphod's waiting mouths. Zaphod then swapped the cum from one face to the other (laughs) in a wholly improbable one-man snowball. (laughs) 
They paired off Zaphod with Ford, Arthur with Trillion. Ford grabbed the Nutramatic drinks dispenser and proceeded to lap any number of liquids off of Zaphod's sweaty body. Arthur slid into Trillion's awaiting vagina, and he felt like with each thrust he was fucking into a different region of the known universe. Arthur felt like he could fuck her for days, years, even decades. His penis continuing to satisfy nerds even after this... It, a long, long, even after his death in a metaphor for something, right? The nerds would never get sick of it. It was just one thing, but it would last for a long, long times in many different variations. They'd never, ever get sick of it. Sure, his penis was one little thing. The nerds would always want more, even if most deaf somehow got involved. <laughs> Now that is improbably thought as he slid his thumb into Trillian's butthole. Wait, muttered Trillian, get Marvin. Marvin, Arthur asked. Then Marvin the robotic sex toy emerged, a vibrating dildo on wheels that was powered by space egg technology and also clinical depression. <laughs> With him was Slarty Bartfast, an alien geologic designer who maybe appears in the first book, I didn't study it that much. <laughs> Slarty Bardfuss had Trillian wet between her legs like one of his famed fjords. Arthur, Arthur took Marvin into his butthole like a, like a robotic friend, ushering him away from the destruction. Soon his penis exploded with more force than the earth under attack by the Vogon fleet. Slarty Bardfest left. I've got to design another planet. He blew a kiss to Trillian. So long, he said. And thanks. That smelled like fish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Arthur gasped Trillian. She lost track of how many orgasms she said, but it was pretty sure it was 42. The dolphins were right about you, she said. Arthur lay there confused. This morning he'd been an ordinary man in his ordinary home, wondering about what to have that day for tea. Now he lay on the floor of a spaceship, his home planet destroyed and his asshole destroyed as well. He was overwhelmed by feelings of sexual excitement and regret, but more than anything else, he was overwhelmed by the improbable amount of bodily fluids and alien jizz that now covered his entire body. And that, gasped Ford Prefect, is why you always have to bring a towel. <laughs> Sean Keen. And keeping it off for the final competitor of the evening, Mr. Matt Lieb. All right. Uh, so I got the Borg Queen. Yeah. Uh, you nerds are going to be so mad at me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know enough about stuff, um, but I, I'm going to do my best. All right. <clears throat> the Borg Queen. Let's see. Captain John Luke Picard sits atop the captain's chair of the USS Enterprise. I'm right so far, right? I, I, okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah. Uh, while his crew scurries about the USS Enterprise, continuously hitting blinking buttons. <clears throat> Captain's log. Stardate, bunch of numbers. <laughs> we are running at warp seven to rendezvous with a science vessel which has been routinely mo- monitoring the collapse of a red supernova star into a white dwarf. What has brought us here is a series of strange messages indicating something has gone wrong aboard the research vessel. I... I, Jean-Luc pauses for a moment, a strange look upon his face. (sighs) I can't do this. The crew looks confused. Computer, activate open office word processor. Really? Yes, computer. But just use Google Docs, computer. Activating. John Luke takes a breath and begins. <clears throat> Dear Penthouse Forum, <laughs> uh, I, I am a longtime reader, and I, I must say this is the first time I have ever been compelled to write to you. I, I've been 
trying for days to stop myself from penning this letter, but at this point I believe resistance to be futile. <laughs> I, I, where to begin, I went on a date with the most enchanting woman recently. The date started out as most of my dates do, me strapped to an iron table in the middle of Delta Quadrant. Uh, where to begin with her? Well, she's Mormon, of course. Uh, I mean, I assume she's Mormon because she kept trying to assimilate me. Uh, uh, which I assume is her cute way of trying to get me to convert. Gosh, why, why do I always fall for Mormon girls? Something about the way they look, something about the way their spine dangles freely from the rest of their cybernetic bodies <laughs> just gets my juices going. Computer, delete that last, the, those last few words. Deleting really gets my penis engorged. She was amazing. And well, I don't mean to brag, but she's kind of famous. <laughs> Her name is Queen Borg, and I must say that I have fallen in love. She is the most enchanting woman I have ever met, and I haven't slept in days since meeting her. All I can think about is her eyes, her dark, black, Mormon eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Looking through into my soul, which does not exist. <laughs> And her skin, her pale, pale, greasy Mormon skin that just yearns for the touch of my secular, secular hands. From the first word she spoke, I knew I was in love. She said, I am the beginning, the end, the one who is many. I am the Borg. So romantic. <laughs> I think she was quoting Joseph Smith, but I don't know. <laughs> it's a really boring book. It's really boring. <laughs> well, here I am rambling lovesick when I'm supposed to be making this naughty, so let me get down to business. Uh, as most people know, the Borg, once assimilated, ceased to grow body hair and uh, develop an ashen grayish skin uh, coloration. So you know what that means. Shaved head. Her head was shaved. Her marvelous head. Oh, how I long to drag my tongue upon her head and watch it glisten in the light. If I were a more forward person, I probably would have made a move. But alas, I have neither the gall nor the confidence to make that move. Luckily for me, I'm pretty sure she's a dominatrix. I'm not sure where the last state left us as I was unconscious during most of it, but hopefully the next date will be better. Oh, computer, this isn't working. Computer, save text file. Saving. Computer, open up Google Chrome. Search stump porn. Computer. And that's the end. That's what happened. <laughs> Matt Lieb. All right, so give everybody from round two back up, wherever they may be. Fellas. All right, once again, y'all be voting on a winner. Uh, I'll remind you very briefly of what everybody wrote. We start with Mike Kaplan with The Black Hole, then Sean Keane with Hitchhiker's Guide, and finally Matt Lieb with The Borg Queen. So pick a favorite, starting with Mike Kaplan, The Black Hole. Sean Keane, The Hitchhiker's Guide. Matt Lee, Borg Queen. I believe that's going to Mr. Mike Kaplan with the black hole, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't matter. Thank you. <laughs> Tonight, it matters a little bit more than other nights because you get to take home this glorious bag full of dildos and shit from Good Vibrations right here in San oh. Francisco. Right? 
<laughs> it's important. Now it's important. Uh, thanks to Good Vibrations, goodvibrations.com, for providing us with a bunch of stuff for him to shove in his holes or other people's. More importantly, he has to fly back to New York with that. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. Check out the podcast, Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction on iTunes. I've been Brian Cook. Thanks to Cole Stratton. You guys are the best. That does it for episode 77. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It's a big help. Upcoming live shows include August 17th at The Virgil in Los Angeles. That is free every month now and at The Virgil. August 21st at Three Kings as part of the High Plains Comedy Festival in Denver. August 24th at the Doug Fur in Portland, Oregon. August 25th at the Capital City Theater in Salem, Oregon. August 29th at the Rendezvous in Seattle. Plenty more details coming soon. To hear more about those, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking or the show at CE Fanfic. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.